Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Savvy Girls Podcast. This is Melanie, and I am podcasting from Half Moon Bay, California. And Deborah is podcasting or was podcasting about an hour ago from New York, New York. So we are in separate places, but we have teamed together to give you a another savvy podcast. So sit back. I have no clue what she talked about, but it's probably knitting. And I know what I talked about because I was there. So sit back, put your knitting sticks, do what you've got to do with your knitting sticks and enjoy the show. And I said, wait, hey, hey, it's just an ordinary day and it's all your state of mind. At the end of the day, you just got to say it's all right. Hello, everybody. This is Melanie and welcome to the Savvy Girls Podcast. Deborah and I are splitting this episode, not because we don't like each other and not because we don't want to podcast together, but because we can't seem to sync up our times to podcast together because I'm performing in California. Deborah's three hours later and working every day and I'm on the road and she's busy and I'm busy and a podcast is due. And so we thought that this would be the best way to do it this episode. And we're going to talk about knitting, or I am anyway, because the next episode is probably not, is not going to be, I forget probably, it's not going to be a knitting episode, it's going to be a travel episode, because I have a lot of travel, I'm in the middle of it I suppose, it's not coming up, it's happening this minute since I'm driving, as part of it, but I'll talk about that next episode I suppose. So okay, I promised Deborah I would talk half an hour about knitting. It is 11.50 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and I'm about to drive through the mountains between Los Baños and San Jose. Jose, Jose. It is stormy up in the mountains. It looks like it's storming, although it is not storming here at the base of them. And so in half an hour, I'll either have talked about knitting for that long or we'll all be dead. I'll be dead. So in the mountains by San Jose. So given the two choices, here we go talking about knitting so I actually when I was in Montreal and I may have talked about this I did knit a fair amount it was weird I got there and all of a sudden I thought oh gosh I should be nesting or in French oh zut just voudrais nester and so um yeah that's bad French my French is better than that anyway so I every night I actually knit uh, a little bit. I was watching, re-watching True Blood and I was watching uh, Downton Abbey, although I have not seen the finale and people are ruining it on Facebook. Thanks. Don't say anything on Facebook. We haven't all seen it yet. Some of us are still in season five. Anyway, so I, I did every night knit a fair amount and it started with this scarf that I was knitting that turned out to be sort of a disaster. I talked about it. It was with was it Manos? It was something. Anyway, I talked about it before. It was beautiful alpaca, except it kept breaking, and I kept breaking, and then a dog ate it in South Carolina a little bit, and then I just kept knitting and knitting, and it curled up, and it didn't block out because I was an idiot, and I knew you do not knit a scarf, knit and pearl, and anyway, the point is, it was kind of a disappointment, but instead of giving up forever, on my birthday in January, Instead of lying there in tears because I knew basically one person in a new city, 
wonderful person. Oh, she saved my birthday. But you know, instead of being all full of tears about that, I went out and bought a skein of yarn because I figured my bitterness would then be complete. However, it was great yarn. It was baby alpaca. It was called Royal something baby alpaca. And it was really nice. And there was enough to knit two lovely, lovely blue cowls, which are in Edmonton right now. But I knit one cowl and I forget the, I was going to say recipe. I forget the uh, pattern, but I'm really tired. This is my first day with no coffee in a week. So I forgot the pattern now, but it was such a lovely pattern that I then knit a second one. I thought, hey, maybe I'll give it to somebody, but I didn't. I also did not sew in the ends, but they're both sitting there in Edmonton. And so I, I knit those. And then I thought it's time to knit a hat. And I had some beautiful Anzula yarn. I think it was Anzula Cricket. Beautiful yarn. And I knit the Chardonnay hat. And I thought it was time to do new stitches, although it's really a combination of slip, slip, knit, and yarn overs, and cables, sort of meandering cables. And it's a beautiful hat. What can I say? It really worked out very, very well. I love the hat. I knit it. I wished I, I, I initially I wanted to knit a beret, but I knit this as a beanie, but I blocked it as a beret and now it's sort of a berini. So I have this lovely berini that I knit and I, I would say I'm wearing it now, but it's actually underneath the podcast machine because I was hoping this will take away some of the car noises and put crinkly yarn noises in instead. Oh gosh, it's been three minutes and I've talked about all my knitting. Um, all right, so, all right, oh, okay. I'm on this trip, which I'm gonna talk about later. I guess I'll talk about it in a minute because next episode is a while away. But I'm on this trip and the only yarn I brought is probably about seven, six and a half eighths of a skein of, and it's, that's another Anzuli yarn. It's not Cricut, it's a different one. It's thinner, it's thinner than sock yarn. Maybe that's sport weight? Uh, as a knitting expert, I totally know all the weights of yarn, definitely, so I'll tell you later. And it's very, I've, look, ever since Sabrina gave me this yarn, I have meant to make it into a shawl, and it's, that was 2011, 2012, that was 2012 she gave it to me, and it is raining, and I am up in the mountains now, and I do not have a shawl made out of that yarn because I have been too lazy to knit one. But now is time. I have my size six or seven needles. They're sort of in the middle. I have my traveling woman shawl pattern, and I have six and a half eighths of a ball of yarn. So we are going to see what comes of that today when I cast it on. And I don't know how long it takes to knit a shawl, maybe eight months, who knows? But hopefully that's enough knitting to last me my trip. I'm sort of feeling like I should have a backup ball of yarn, but I don't have one. So there, there you go. And let's see, what else? Still in the mountains, still raining. It's been six minutes. There's a drought here in California, actually, so it's, it's good that it's raining. It's about time. I'm sure the farmers are thrilled, and I'm thrilled for them. I just, oh, good, the rain just stopped. I think I'm between clouds. So I'm heading up. Might as well, I'm done knitting, I guess. Sorry, Deborah. I am heading up to go to a bed and breakfast hotel. 
Well, bed and breakfast is a hotel. I'm really tired. I'm heading up to go to a bed and breakfast. And as it happens, this is the most romantic, as according to the New York Times, the most romantic bed and breakfast on the West Coast. So, Melanie, you must be wondering, with whom are you partaking of this most romantic and very expensive bed and breakfast? The most romantic bed and breakfast, as it happens, on the West Coast. And my answer is nobody. Yes, I am going there alone. Irony of ironies. In fact, even more ironic, it seems from what I just said, I'm going there to knit. At this bed and breakfast, very, very expensive, very, very romantic bed and breakfast. In fact, as I said, the most romantic bed and breakfast on the West Coast. So what up, right? Why? Why? I could be comfortable in Fresno where I have been performing. I could just sit there and not be stabbed, I suppose, whatever you don't do in Fresno, and, and I could knit there if I were, you know, there, but no, no, I'm going to this bed and breakfast, and that is because I am a secret shopper. I think Deborah and I talked about this already. I, got, my friend Esther got us into this, and I've been doing it, and Deborah's been doing it, and we've been doing mostly restaurants and a couple stores, but this is my first hotel, and so I have to go and be all secretive and shoppery and whatever, write reports about things. And it's going to be really interesting, but I'm supposed to be low key. And I mean, it's the honeymoon destination in this area and I'm going alone. And also I have a feeling I am the only guest there looking at their webpage because I had to go and book a room and there are six rooms and there were six rooms available. So I am staying in this honeymoon suite essentially with a private fireplace where you can actually book time in the jacuzzi so you do not have to be with other couples and it can be romantic and solitary and sexy and probably it's the sex jacuzzi and probably it's the sex bedroom not that every hotel bedroom isn't but this is probably the romantic sex bedroom yeah it's it's, it's so awkward so I'll be there knitting and maybe watching Downton Abbey I, I'm not going to play solitaire on the computer because that would just be even sadder, you know, sitting there alone in a romantic place playing solitaire. I don't even have someone to play a game with me. Yeah, so that is my plan for the day, I suppose. Um, I didn't want to podcast about that too much there because I'm supposed to be low-key and announcing that I'm a secret shopper in the place where someone might hear me because I am the only guest. Although, they may soundproof it, because, you know, the sex beds. <laughs> um, uh, although, I mean, although really, if you're thinking at some of the nautical hotels that I have stayed in in my life, nautical meaning there are seamen, or there is seamen all over the hotel, this one is probably more romantic. Romantic hotel, so it's probably cleaner, but, but still. I feel like I'm going to do the bed a disservice by sitting and knitting or lying and knitting on it. Yeah, sorry bed. Sorry bed, it's gonna be a long night. Um, or a short night, because I'll just be sleeping. Well, that was better than talking about knitting, but we still have, uh, oh gosh, it's been, we still have a lot of talking left to do. So, all right, after this, so okay, I'm in Fresno. I, before this, I was in Montreal, figuring out if I liked to live there essentially and I love it I love Montreal it's beautiful I love it love love then I went to Alberta to visit savvy mom and my little gerbil Juno and my crazy little bird Colette 
And then after that, I came here. Well, I stopped in San Jose and I saw my friend Nicole and I stayed with Gigi Knitmore and hung out with the Knitmore girls and their little mini Knitmores for a while and tried to turn the children against knitting. I'm not sure if I was successful. Maybe a little bit. And then I came here to Fresno to perform my show, which is Red Hot Mama, a Sophie Tucker cabaret. I toured it a year and a half ago and I'm performing it now. So I am here performing that. And then at the end, let's see, it is Monday now. On Sunday morning, I drive to the San Francisco airport, secret shop a store there as it happens, and then I fly out. And I'll be repeating all this on the travel podcast, but, and then I fly out to Brunei Dar es Salaam. Where is Brunei, you may ask, because goodness gracious, I did not know. Brunei Dar es Salaam is near Malaysia. It's on one of the islands of Malaysia, sort of at the very tip. From what I can see, it's like Singapore in that it is a city and a country. It's one of the richest countries in the world. I think Shell Oil underwrites their medical expenses, so it costs something like a dollar to go to the hospital. Kind of like in Canada. But anyway, it costs about a dollar to go to the hospital. I don't believe citizens pay taxes. It is just so oil rich and um, under Sharia law, which um, I... I suppose I've been to a Shari- I guess Morocco might be under Sharia law, and I'm pretty sure Algeria might be. But this country is most definitely under Sharia law, and that should be interesting because I had to bring modest clothes to wear, and it is 35 degrees, which is something like 100, basically almost 100 degrees there on a regular basis. So it's going to be covering up and sweating a lot. So anyway, I'm going there to sing. On the way there, I'm stopping in Singapore to see my friend, Leslie. He's my former roommate. When we started the podcast, I was living, I think I just moved in with him in New York, right? That was a year before I moved in with him. So he might've been on the podcast at the beginning, but I haven't really seen him since then. He's back in Singapore teaching and I'm excited to have a day in Singapore. I'm sure he'll podcast with me, hopefully. And what next? Uh, so I'm in Singapore for a day, and during that day, I will actually be secret shopping to restaurants in Singapore, which is crazy and fun. So there's that. And then after that, okay, so Singapore, Brunei Dar es Salaam. There's a quick stop in Korea on the way there, but just to change planes, which is insane. Korea, all these places. I've never been to Asia. I've been all around the world, but Asia is the one place where I really have never been. And so this is going to be kind of cool for me. So anyway, Brunei, I'm there for four days. It is going to be four insane days of performing and sightseeing. And there are monkeys and there are other monkeys. And Deborah's sending me her camera. And I just hope we both of our cameras are sort of dying. So I'm just hoping the camera works. And thank you, Deborah. Not that you listen, But if you do, thank you for lending me your camera. So after Brunei, I am flying via Bangkok. So I am totally not going to Bangkok just because it's cheap to get a wax and a massage and I'm poor. So that is totally not why I'm spending a day in Bangkok, but maybe it is. I've heard Thai massages are very good and very cheap and It's time to get a little touch up with the waxing and again, very good, very cheap. So I am also going to see some things and eat some food in Bangkok 
and hopefully at, at some point along the road get some malaria pills because I might need them for my next stop. So after Bangkok, I am flying to Addis Ababa in, in uh, Ethiopia, going to Ethiopia just for a few hours. I don't leave. I would have to get a visa if I left security. So I'm just transiting through Addis Ababa for three hours, I think. And after that, I will be flying to Khartoum, Sudan. Yes, I'm going to Khartoum. It is illegal at this moment, I believe, for Americans to either go there. I certainly know American sites like Travelocity or TripAdvisor or Expedia or any of those do not sell tickets to Khartoum. I believe the American government has forbidden them to sell tickets to Khartoum, Sudan. So um, I'm going to sing. I found a ticket on Ethiopian Airlines. So I'm, yeah, I'm going. Going to be there for a few days perform a few concerts, likely do some master classes. I'm still still waiting to hear exactly what I'm doing there, but I will be performing a whole bunch of things there. And after Khartoum, I still don't have my ticket out. I, it's weird. I, I reserved my ticket on Ethiopian Airlines to leave Khartoum, but they don't let you pay online. You have to go into a ticket office, and I don't know that there's a ticket office anywhere near me. So I need to get on the phone today and sort of deal with that because I certainly don't want to be stuck in Khartoum with no way out. Yeah, at least not at, before I get there. Um, if Yeah, nothing will happen. I'm sure it'll be fine. So anyway, Khartoum, going there. And then afterwards, if this ticket works out, I'm going to stop again in Addis Ababa to see the airport a little. And then going to Paris for I'm not sure how long, maybe a week, maybe less than a week. I'm not sure and I'm not sure where I'm going after that. I will either go to Alberta or Montreal. I, I don't know. That's still sort of up in the air. I need to deal with that this week. I'm still working out somewhere to stay in Paris, um, what I'm gonna do when I'm there, if I can get a concert on the way back, possibly, maybe in Iceland or somewhere, or somewhere in Europe. So I am still working the rest of this trip that's starting in just a few days. Just still working it out. And luckily the, the people who hired me are paying for the air tickets. So I am not supremely worried about finding a ticket home. But at the same time, I need to finish making these plans. And I have not done that yet. I did, however, figure out my trip knitting with this shawl. So I guess that's, that's something. Although, to be honest, I might need more yarn, and I don't want to be stuck in Khartoum without yarn, because goodness knows, that would be awful. Not really. What else? So, for this trip that I was not going to talk about at all, and now I'm only talking about, I've decided to only take carry-on bags. Now, I looked up the requirements of Ethiopian Airlines, who is a Star Alliance carrier, so that means that Air Canada is on the same conglomerate, I suppose, and, and there are other ones too. United is also, so I, there are a lot of airlines in other parts of the world that just because you can book it on Expedia or somewhere doesn't mean that they're safe or reliable. For example, China Eastern Airways, China Western Airlines, and I think there's China Southern Airways too. So I was trying to avoid some of these these airways that I've, these airlines that I've heard really awful things about but Ethiopian Airline looks quite lovely. It's part of Star Alliance, which makes you assume that there are at least minimum standards. 
and I get points for Canada, I hope. So yeah, and they have vegetarian food, which I'm sort of on a break, but I'm also sort of a vegetarian, so that's good that that is an option. What was I saying? Oh, carry-on. So, I, okay, I looked up the rules for for Ethiopian Airlines, and their rules are seven kilos for a carry-on. Now, if I'm traveling with only carry-on, and that carry-on involves a ball gown, shoes for a ball gown, and a whole bevy of mouse and ostrich puppets, I am likely going to have a heavier carry-on than that. Plus, modest clothes, so two long skirts. Um, underwear, I'm bringing underwear. I don't know how many pairs of socks. So yeah, I traveled here carry-on to Fresno, but I am actually going to mail some of it away and try to take a third of take a third out of what I have here because I had two carry-ons and they were heavy and I ended up having to gate check them, which I guess doesn't make them carry-ons anymore, but I didn't have to pay for a bag, so that was good. But I don't I don't want to be going through the airport carrying this really heavy duffel and looking like all of my worldly possessions are in fact hanging off me because I just, it may call attention to a girl in certain countries where a girl does not want attention called to her in a way that I do not, as do not want attention called to me. So as a result, I am going to be careful and bring less, bring fewer things. I guess that's all I have to say about the trip so far. I am going to do a travel podcast. It's going to be interesting because I'm hitting so many different places. And you know, every time I travel, something goes awfully wrong. So it's going to be who knows what it will be. You know, a question I often get when I tell people I'm traveling, here's something I can talk about, is people ask, are you traveling with a group? And the answer is always basically no. And if you've listened to the podcast, you know that. I travel alone for these I largely make my own travel decisions, my own travel planning, both on the ground and for the air travel, and it is a skill, you know, booking everything off, say, Expedia doesn't necessarily mean it's the cheapest way or the best way or even the safest way because they they have a lot of carriers that aren't necessarily ones you'd want to take. And then there are places like Skyscanner. Now, in in the UK, Skyscanner I've used before, and they deal with mostly low-cost and discount airlines. And they do deal with Khartoum as a destination country. So I was looking them up, and I didn't recognize any of the travel sites because they're sort of, they involve a conglomerate of travel sites, and then they price compare, and you find the cheapest because prices actually do vary a lot on the different travel sites. So they were suggesting ones like air to be and fly.co.uk just all of these ones I had never really heard of so my initial reaction was great I found a ticket I can book it it'll be done you know two clicks whatever it's finished but then I thought okay I should research these companies and it looks like for example fly to be or fly to be whatever it is um It appears that that one seems to charge people twice often by accident for their tickets. And another company actually doesn't always manage to make the reservation. So you show up at the airline and there is no reservation and no ticket. And this seems to have happened enough times that that it's a problem and it's better not to use these companies. So just because a webpage that you usually can trust offers, offers a service because Skyscanner often has like Ryanair and EasyJet and all these discount European carriers that I use. Maybe they're not the most reliable, but 
that they're reliable enough. But just because it offers those does not mean that it's a good decision to take those. Yeah. So be smart and, oh, visas. Make sure if you are applying for a visa or if you're going to a country, you know their visa requirements. For example, Addis Ababa. It seems that if you take Ethiopian airline, they will help you get a visa at the border, which is pretty cool. But um, if you're transiting, but if you're transiting, you don't need a visa. Also pretty cool. But for a country like Sudan, it is a four week minimum wait for Americans to get a visa and a three week minimum wait for Canadians to get a visa. And it's not guaranteed. So luckily I, have, I was hired to sink through the government and they pulled some strings and did governmenty things and I expedited my postage so I, I had this prepaid envelope all ready to come back and I called the embassy and actually ended up talking to someone and and we chatted ahead of time to make sure things would be okay we were I was just I was on top of this and I managed to get the visa in four days which was basically a miracle but Generally, you need to give time for visas. If you're sending a passport away to someplace to get a visa, you might not get it back in time. So do give things time. Make sure, oh, if you'll remember from my earlier adventures, did I talk, I might not have talked about this, but I think I did. When I went to Prague last year, I was not allowed in the country because my passport expired fewer than it had a three-month limit, and my passport expired two months from the date I was traveling, which was okay for the UK. So when I flew to England, I looked up those requirements. I knew it was all right. Unfortunately, the UK is not a Schengen state, and the Schengen this in Europe had different rules. And I, I ended up they were they were going to send me back on a plane, and they got really grumpy, and they were actually going to charge me to send me back. And if this ever happens to you, it is not your responsibility to pay. If you get booted out, it is the airline's responsibility to pay in that situation because it's their fault that they didn't check your passport before you boarded. Um, so don't be in that situation. But if you are, don't let them make you buy a ticket. And luckily, I knew that rule and I refused. And that delayed the whole thing a little more. And there were some strings pulled. And luckily, I was singing again for the Canadian government and they called some people who called some people and I owe someone a whole lot of cookies and yeah and luckily I ended up being allowed into the country but um I should know the rules for so many reasons and the fact that that giant crap storms keep happening to me just means that seriously giant crap storms will happen to anyone who travels and just be aware and be careful and it's raining a lot now so I don't even know if I'm on the correct road and it's a two-lane highway through the mountains so maybe I should go although you'll never know if I make it through the mountains if I go so maybe I'll just stay and talk about um, knitting so two-lane highway in the rain people are going really fast good thing they're not knitting you know behind the wheels and things Oh, I know, I'll talk about, let's see. I know, I'll talk about my sparrow. So my little sparrow Colette is at home with my mom currently. 
she is molting. She has been molting for two months, which means basically at molting, in case you don't know, is when birds lose their feathers and then they get new feathers. And it's supposed to happen twice a year, but Colette seems to molt a lot more often. This is her fourth time this year. And this time she's taking her sweet sparrowy time with her molting. She is finally seems to be losing feathers with a vengeance. Savvy mom found one in her bra strap last night, or back in the clip of her bra. But it's been a feather or two a day, and it's supposed to be like basically all the feathers immediately, and then they grow new ones. So she's been taking her time molting, but it's gonna be interesting because every time she's molted, she's changed color. And it's interesting because when she molts, she has white dots and white speckles and they appear in different spots every time. So her head got really speckled last time and her wings, and this time it looks like her little breast is becoming very, very white instead of gray, sort of gray brown beige color. Instead it's, oh, giant puddle. Um, so I'm very curious, not that I'll be there to see it, but I'm very curious to see what color my little bird is gonna end up being. Who knows, right? She is a little brat. Savvy mom was out of town visiting Savvy Bugs and I was, I guess, bird sitting my own bird. And mom came back and the bird was a little brat. All she wanted to do in the last few days, because Savvy mom's got a cold, poor mom, poor mom. So Savvy mom's got the plague and she does what a good Jewish mother should do and that is take chicken soup, you know, as medicine. So. Mom's been basically drinking chicken soup all week and the bird decided she wanted chicken soup too. And mom at first, very sensibly and not disgustingly, decided birds shouldn't eat birds. That's gross, birds shouldn't eat birds. But uh, the sparrow had other ideas. Colette actually hopped over to the bowl, leaned over when mom wasn't looking and slurped. Mom looked over just in time to see her slurping on her little tiptoes, leaning over with her neck craned all the way out slurping chicken soup from the bowl. So it ended up, I mean, poor mom, the bird wore her down. The bird was slipping chicken soup from her spoon not long after. And I think now she's a chicken eating bird. Oh, but um, you'd think that, I mean, she sort of smells like noodles when she's all warm, but you just wouldn't, there's something not right about my bird eating a bird. Deborah says it's like people eating mammals, which we do, most of us do, but I don't, you know, just, it doesn't, it doesn't seem right. I mean, sparrows are not vegetarians. They're considered opportunistic eaters. So if there's an opportunity, they eat. But I don't know that this exactly is what they mean by that in nature is mom made a steaming delicious bowl of noodle soup and the bird got to it first. But anyway, the bird is adorable. She is so funny. Everything she does is hilarious and I'm really glad that she's good company. I mean, okay, mom, if you hear this, which you will because you listen, I'm sorry the bird's being a pain. But at the same time, it's good company for mom and it's good company for bird and mom sends me pictures. The bird was eating her crochet yesterday, so hey, bird's learning. And with that, I am basically mostly out of the mountains and I think that I'm going to turn the rest of this podcast over to Deborah. So here you go, Deborah.
Savvy listeners, this is Deborah, and this is the third time that I'm trying to record this segment. The first time I recorded it on my phone, then I couldn't figure out how to get the recording off my phone. For some reason, something happened to the file, it was corrupted or something, something scandalous, and I couldn't get it from my phone onto the computer. And then the second time, I got a phone call halfway through, and so this is try number three, and as we all know, third time is a charm, right? All right. So let's talk about my knitting briefly, not so briefly. I am going to start this by admitting I'm going to confess that I'm having a serious Amy Herzog thing going on right now. I went to her talk at the Vogue Knitting Live in January and I watched her craftsy class and I've been reading her blog and I'm having a little bit of a huge knitter's crush on Amy Herzog. So sorry about being a stalker, Amy, but I'm thoroughly impressed with your work and I'm making one of your sweaters and I'm in love with it. So this is what I'm knitting, folks. It is called Charlie's Cardigan and it is a custom fit sweater by Amy Herzog. If you're unfamiliar with it, custom fit is an online tool or pattern generating system that Amy designed. And essentially you put in your measurements or the measurements of the person for whom you're planning to knit the sweater. And then you put in your gauge, whatever gauge you're you need a swatch and or multiple swatches and you figure out what gauge you're most happy with and then you put that in and then you pick either one of the patterns that they have in the system already built into the system or you build your own pattern by identifying what you want the hem to look like and how long you want the sleeves to be and what you want the neckline to be and etc etc and then you it it costs between 10 and 12 50 or 10 and 13 dollars something like that per pattern but you basically you pay you press go and it generates a pattern just for you with all of the instructions and that is supposed that is supposedly fits you perfectly if your measurements are right and if your gauge is consistent so i picked a pattern called charlie's cardigan and it is a cardigan with a zigzag lace panel going down either side of the button band I'm knitting it in socks that rock medium weight in this beautiful sage colorway called Saber. It's a, it's a green, sagey green. It's knitted flat in pieces, and all of the custom fit patterns are knitted flat, at least as it's built now. I, I have so far knit both sleeves, and I've started working on the right front. And by started working on the right front, I must admit that it means that I've cast it on three times and then ripped it out three times. Because apparently counting to 62 is hard. Possibly too hard than I can handle because 60 stitches, that was fine when I cast on 60 stitches by mistake. 63 stitches, that was also, that happened. And I'm still working on, I will get there eventually, a tidy cast on with 62 stitches. And and counting is perhaps beyond me this evening too. So instead I'm podcasting, clearly. I am being very careful I'm using hand-dyed yarn, and so I'm alternating um, knitting from two separate balls of yarn. So far, I think the it's going well, and it hides any major, col- major color changes. So I have four skeins of yarn total. I wound two of them into balls, because I only needed to start with two, and I alternated two rows at a time, up one sleeve and then up the other. So what it means is that I have two sleeves knit, both of them match each other and are on the same, have the same kind of color variations to each other. That's great. They look good. They look like they match each other. So now I have two front pieces and a back piece to knit, and I'm 
I'm wondering whether I should, and I think this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to skein up the next two or ball up the next two skeins of yarn and then knit the two front pieces starting from two fresh skeins so that the two front pieces match one another and then take my four partial remaining skeins and then do the back alternating they skein one, skein two, skein one, skein two, skein three, skein two, skein three, skein two, skein four, skein three, skein score, you know, that kind of thing going up the back so that it's, well, because the back doesn't need to match anything but itself, right? Or it doesn't need to match anything. So I'm less concerned about the symmetry with the back. So I think that's what I'm going to do. I've been also debating what order I should knit the pieces in. And obviously I've finally, I've made a decision in that I knit the sleeves first the front two pieces second and then the back third and one of the reasons I chose to do that is because the sleeves as most knitters find sleeves are notoriously tedious and long to knit and it's not like they take any longer than any other part of the sweater necessarily it's just that usually you're getting near the end and you're excited to be done your sweater and the sleeves seem to go on and on so by doing them first when I'm still enthusiastic about the sweater and excited about the whole the whole thing uh, knit, knitting the sleeves, they were actually exciting to do because I was seeing this sweater come to life for the first time. Next, I'm going to do the front pieces, and and I think the reason I've chosen to do the front pieces is a they're the they're the pieces with the lace in them, and so they take a little more concentration, which in some ways makes them more interesting, and in other ways, I've been having trouble concentrating on much of anything lately, especially when it comes to my knitting. And while it's a very simple lace pattern. I think it would be good for me to get the concentrating part out of the way so that I can go back on autopilot. I'm really looking forward to knitting the back. And I don't know why exactly, maybe because it's one big piece and it's all stockinette and and it strikes me as that's the most meaty part of the sweater in that it's the largest piece. So I'm saving that for last. So I have a plain stockinette sleeves that I did first, plain stockinette back that I'm going to do last, and then the two front pieces. And also the two front pieces there too. And so just like second sock is sometimes harder to knit than the first sock because you're, you've already done it once. I, I think if I can get the pieces where I have two matching pieces done while I still have energy and enthusiasm so that when my mind starts to wander near the end, I'm only knitting one of something and one being the large back piece. So that's the order that I've chosen to do this in. I'm curious, do you do you have any other techniques or... What, what order do you normally knit knit your sweaters in? I, I have sometimes considered when I'm doing, say, a top-down raglan, knitting the the yoke, or the, the, let's say the, the neckline, down to where you divide off for the sleeves. And instead of dividing off for this, putting the sleeves on waist yarn and then knitting the body, I've actually considered putting the body on waist yarn and knitting the sleeves first because it would be easier to flip back and forth. And then also once the sleeves are done, the, the, the body, you know, again, it's that saving sleeves to last and then finding the sleeves are tedious and, and they seem to go on forever when you're excited about being done. But I've actually never done it. I always seem to leave the sleeves for last and I honestly don't hate knitting sleeves. I'm really, I will, I want to be wearing the sweater already. I'm so excited about it. Lately, I have been reading some blogs and I've just come across a variety of different things, new techniques and new things that are relatively new and shiny for me. And so I wanted to share a little bit of this with you. First of all, new ideas for swatching. And this I learned from Amy Herzog. And this is uh, both from the Craftsy class and from the talk and frankly from her blog and all of this stuff. 
new way of swatching. So rather than first knitting a swatch and then counting the number of stitches in four inches, she suggests to first knit the swatch, wash it, as you, every, as you should every, any swatch, manhandle it, treat it the way you plan to treat your final knitted fabric, let it dry, and then instead of measuring it, instead you sew two vertical threads or two vertical contrasting uh, pieces of yarn um, across, so like, you, like you pick somewhat in from the top and in from the bottom, but you do two vertical ones and then two horizontal ones. Essentially, you are sewing a square inside your square because the side stitches are always distorted and the top and bottom ones are always a little distorted. So you want to focus on what's in the middle of your swatch. And then all you have to do is measure in between the lines you have already drawn by, by sewing the contrasting colors. So I did this and I took a white piece of yarn. I had knit my swatch and I knit my swatch out of socks that rock medium weight, but it was leftovers from a pair of socks. So not the same color that I'm using, but the same yarn. So it's this kind of bright variegated color. And I took a white yarn and I knit it across 25 stitches across and 25 stitches down or the 30 stitches across 25 stitches down. And so then I had this nice tidy square identified with my contrasting yarn. And then I was able to take a ruler and measure in between the lines. So easy to do and so much easier than trying to fiddle with a, a swatch and and then count and then oops I lost count and is this half a stitch is this half a row is it three quarters I wanted something like even a third or a, a quarter of a stitch can make a big difference over the course of a sweater especially if you're doing a small gauge sweater so this way rather than trying to count portions of stitches what you do is you count let's say my 25 stitches it's it takes up X amount of, and you can use the little lines on the ruler to be really precise about how much space it takes. And then you can cross multiply to figure out how many stitches or how many rows would be in four inches. And you can either use that um, and change your pattern based on what you're getting, or you can compare it with what, what the pattern you have. But it makes for this very tidy, attractive looking swatch too. And in fact, I took a picture of my swatch and put it up on Instagram and, and on Facebook. And someone actually said that it was the best or the, the most attractive or something or other, some complimentary word swatch that she had ever seen. And, and I was so proud of my swatch and I never thought I would say those words. Okay, something else that I've started doing lately is the long tail tubular cast on. And oh my goodness, I've done this before. This cast on I've done, I, I, there was a one by one rib cowl that I did where I did the tubular cast on and I remember back then loving it but finding it a little fiddly to get started. And so because I had that in my head, I haven't really done it since. I've been aware that it's a possibility, but I haven't really done it since. But my sweater pattern called for, that the pattern said something like, either use the long tail tubular cast on or whatever cast on of your choice. But often when a pattern for me, when a pattern specifically identifies a cast on or a bind off, then I, I tend to try to look into and see if, if, if that is the right decision for me. A, because it gives me an opportunity to learn something, but B, part of what a designer, the cast on and bind off edges are part of the design. And sometimes you need the structure of a tighter cast on or a bind off, or sometimes you need the stretchiness of, so whatever they suggest, I tend to look into it and see. And then sometimes it's just, they throw something out there because that's the designer's favorite cast on or bind off. And it's not, 
integral to the pattern. But something like this, I, I went and I looked it up and I found this lovely tutorial, a video on Yasalda Teague's website. I followed the instructions and it makes this wonderful, stretchy, invisible cast on and I am in love and I don't know that I will ever go back. I, it's possible I'll go back at some point if I forget how to do it, but I don't intend to forget. I don't know that I'll ever actually go back to just doing my regular long tail cast on for ribbing. This is how it works. So first of all, it's a modified long tail cast on where you're essentially twisting the yarn in a way that it makes a base row. But it's not a very solid row. You it needs the next two rows of knitting in order to sort of stay in place. But the first one, you twist it so it's basically a one knit, one purl, one knit, one purl cast on. And then what you do is the next, for each of the next two rows, you knit the knits and you slip the purls and with the yarn in front. You're essentially creating two rows of double knitting. For the third row, that's when you start knitting and purling normally. So once all three steps are done, it creates this wonderfully tidy tube at the cast on edge with the knits and purls going seamlessly from one side of the knitted fabric over the edge and onto the other side. It's very stretchy and there's no hard stop or no different stitch at the edge of the ribbing. I had cast on for a sock before I did this and started this, this sweater and then after watching the YouTube video or the Yusalda video, I, uh, I've ripped it out. And I'm planning to start again but use this cast on for it because it's so attractive. Okay, something else that I came across this week while knitting, reading knitting blogs is the term rowing out. And I had to Google it because I didn't know what it meant and I wasn't able to figure out based on the context what it meant. And I've been around for the, in the knitting world quite some time and I was surprised that, I'm always a little surprised when there's a whole, a, a whole term that I've never heard or I'm, I'm completely unfamiliar with. Not saying that I know everything, but most of the terms I've heard of at one point or the other. At least terms that are in English. So, rowing out, what is it? Turns out the internet knew. Basically, the idea is that most people, when they knit and they purl, their tension isn't exactly the same. So, most knitters, when they purl, are a little bit looser. And from what I understand, this is more extreme when people pick, as in when they knit continental style, than when they throw. It's essentially when your purl rows, or your one of your two rows, I mean, some people, I guess, they knit much looser than they purl, but it's more common for the purling, when one row is significantly looser than the other, and it pops out. The row, it, because it's so much looser than the other, it kind of, it shows on the knitted fabric, it curves outwards for that row, because it, each stitch takes up more space. It's one of the reasons why because of the difference in tension knitting versus purling, when you're supposed to, when you're planning to knit something in the round, you're supposed to swatch in the round. And when you're pl planning to knit something flat, you're supposed to swatch flat because your tension changes. I came across this on a smaller scale and I wouldn't, I, I don't generally row out as, as the term is being that it's visual, but I, when I knit my boxy, which is a very, it's a boxy wide sweater uh, designed by Hohi Locatelli, and I knit it in this lovely Ella Ray lace merino in this be beautiful beige color. Very, very happy with the finished project. All of that being said, when I was knitting it, I knit most of it in the round, but then of course I had to separate for the sleeves and knit the front and the back separately. And I had to, had to knit that part flat. 
And I was quite concerned that my gauge would change so significantly or it would change enough from knitting in the round to knitting flat and that it would be visually apparent, that it would show because this is a large, flat, solid piece of fabric with no patterning. And it's kind of the larger and more solid the piece of fabric, the more your eyes is going to be drawn to small changes and variations. So I, I did swatch, I swatched in the round and I swatched knitting flat and I did find a difference in my gauge. So what I did is I knit in the round using, let's say I use size, I don't remember what needles I used, maybe size four or size five. I knit that part in the round and then when it came time to purl, I switched out one of my two needles. So I was knitting on a larger needle and purling on a smaller needle because my purl rows were slightly looser than my knit ones. And that tightened my gauge a little bit. It wasn't perfectly the same gauge, but it brought it close enough to my knitting in the round gauge that there wasn't a visual difference. And so that was kind of a very successful way of handling this. If you row out, so if you're, you're, needle sizes are significant or your stitch sizes are so significantly different different you might find that when one of the tricks of handling it would be to purl on a different size needle than the one you use to knit but you might actually need to go down more than one needle size in order to bring the stitch sizes closer together in researching what rowing out was i also came across suggestions of how to prevent it um one of them is to knit you knit and purl on different size needles which is completely doable, but might require you to swatch carefully for each and every project and each and every type of yarn, because certainly um, one yarn might have a greater difference than another yarn. So sometimes maybe you'd have to go down one needle size, sometimes two, sometimes three, and you just have to kind of choose that carefully. Another option would be to just choose to knit in the round. If you're knitting every stitch, or if you choose to knit in garter stitch, if you're knitting every stitch, then certainly you don't have to worry about what your purl stitches are like. But that's not always the right choice for the pattern. It's certainly also not always the right choice. You can't do it for a whole garment if you need to do short rows or if you need to. Usually there's some flat knitting for most projects in the round, even if it's a small piece. Another thing you could do is change your tension or your knitting style. So it is difficult. It is completely possible to change your knitting tension and to sustain it over a short piece of fabric. It is much, much harder to change your tension and sustain it over a larger piece of fabric, which is why knitting experts always suggest that if you're trying to match the gauge of a pattern, let's say you're, you're knitting a pattern and you're trying to match the designer's gauge, adjust your needle sizes before you adjust your knitting style. Because you might be able to consciously knit tighter over the course of a four to six inch gauge swatch. To be able to do that over the sweater is a lot harder. So that's one choice, but I actually don't recommend it. Another choice is to choose to pick rather than throw. So you can, um, maybe when you when you knit continental style, your purl stitches are looser. So maybe you want to throw those. And then when you're knitting, when you're knitting, maybe you pick. And when you're throw, when you're purling, maybe you throw. And see if that brings your tension back uh, closer together for your knit and your purl rows. Another one is using tricks to hide the problem. So if you use tonal or variegated yarns, they usually have short vertical color changes or variations, and those will catch the eye and draw attention away from any changes in gauge. 
Um, another trick would be to hide the problem by using thick and thin hand spun or other yarns with variations, even slight variations in thickness. Again, the texture that the yarn creates will draw attention away from gauge changes or will make the gauge changes look like they're just part of that pre-existing texture. Other tricks to hide the problem or to eliminate the problem, in fact, would be using knit purl stitch patterns. So moss stitch, double moss stitch, anything where you're using both knits and purls in the same line especially if they don't line up. So especially if you're not talking, say, a three by three rib where the knits and purls don't exactly line up, then you're going to find that the t your tension over the course of a row is going to even itself out. And also you're not going to have one popping out or the other because some of half of your stitches will be loose, half of them will be tight. And in the end, the row, each row will have the same combination of, or almost the same combination of loose and tight stitches. So rolling out, that's what I found. That's what I've learned this week. I'm doing some other crafting, but not much. I am fantasizing about sweaters. I am thinking about sweaters. I'm thinking about my one sweater. I have a cousin who's pregnant and due in the early summer, and I'm thinking about what to make for her, for her little one. I'm uninspired for a baby blanket, I think, because I just knit one for, not long ago I knit one for my good friend who had a beautiful baby girl and oh gosh her baby's so cute i can't wait to meet her in person however i'm thinking maybe a cute little baby sweater i've never been in a baby sweater before and then possibly cute teeny tiny little cute booties because oh gosh those could be so cute too she's having a little boy so i suppose i wouldn't be able to do mary jane style booties although it's a baby so the baby won't know the difference but i think maybe a baby sweater However, I'm also thinking about sewing. I made for my, my good friend who just had her baby, I made her a variety of burp cloths. So I took, I took a bunch of flat quarters um, of fabric, of quilting fabric, and then I cut fl a flannel into the same sizes, so in a bunch of flat quarters, fat quarters, and then basically I rounded the corners, I put right sides together, I sewed around and I left a small gap for turning, I turned it right side out, and then I top stitched all the way around the edge to make it nice and tidy. And then, then she had a whole bunch of burp cloths. And I understand, and I am not a mother, but from what I understand, from what I've heard, now I know babies burp and vomit a lot. So babies are leaky. So to have lots and lots of cloths that you can use and not to have to do laundry all the time, I understand it can be very useful to parents. So, um, so that's what I, I sent her something like 20 burp cloths. So I'm thinking of doing something similar to my cousin, something pretty hand knit and then something else that is uh, practical and cute. So we're going with that. I think that's that's I'm going to do some fabric shopping online. Oh, shoot. That's going to have to happen tomorrow. Darn it. I hate doing that. I don't hate doing that. Okay. Right. Other things that are up. Sweaters, I've been thinking about sweaters. I am really excited about the idea of potentially being able to knit Sappy Mom, to knit my mom a sweater, and maybe Melanie. With I'm just thinking that with custom fit, it would be hard to surprise someone with a sweater because you need their measurements. But if, they, if they're complicit in it and, and either allow you to measure them or are able to get someone else to measure them, because it's really hard to measure yourself, um, once you have the measurements, to make... You could make this a beautiful, perfectly fitting sweater from a distance and 
without them needing to try it on as you go and for them to be part of the whole process of a little longer, a little shorter, how's this? Because usually when I'm knitting a sweater for myself, there's a lot of adjusting that happens as I go. I look at it, is the is the waist shaping in the right spot? Okay, I, I, I have a longer torso, so I want to make sure to make this longer. But once you have someone's measurements and if they're accurate and you know what style that they would prefer, it would be kind of fun to just make them a sweater and send them a sweater in the mail and have it fit them perfectly. I'm really excited about that. Also, I'm kind of tempted to knit them sport and fingering weight sweaters, which is perhaps not the fastest gift to ever make. But that would be fun. I'm maybe I would have to talk to Savvy Bro, talk to my brother about whether he would be interested in getting a hand knit sweater. I've knit him a couple of things in the last year and a half, and I he hasn't really used them from what I know, so I don't know that he would be interested in a hand knit sweater. If he is, though, Andrew, if you are, uh, let me know because um, I I'm not against right now. I feel like it should be sweaters for everybody. Anyway, I have talked and talked and talked, and I think that covers it for now. I know Melanie has lots to say on this podcast, too, so I will leave it at that. Talk to you again soon. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Savvy Girls Podcast. If you'd like to reach us, we are around. Deborah sometimes checks her Ravelry messages, and I always do. So I'm Savvy Girl Melanie. Deborah is Savvy Girl Deborah. We are on Twitter, Savvy Girls PCast. Lots of activity on Facebook, Savvy Girls Podcast. I am going to be here, there, and everywhere. I am currently in California. I'm going to also be in Brunei, Sudan, Paris, everywhere, Singapore. So if you happen to be where I am, let me know. It'd be nice to meet you. Tune in next time. It will likely be the beginning of my travel episode, and who knows? Anything could happen. In the meantime, tend to your knitting, kitten.